For a fresh alternative to your talk show routine, tune into KUCI 88.9 FM for the best in local public affairs programming in Orange County. And if you're behind a computer, listen online at www.kuci.org. KUCI, commercial free programming since 1969. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and KUCI.org. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer and co-host with Mari. And you can learn more about our guests and shows at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Let me tell you a little bit about Mari. She's a certified information privacy professional. Uh, She's also a local attorney and author of several books, including... Her two new books, Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She's testified many times in the California legislature and U.S. Congress and hosted her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. She's been featured on 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other TV shows. To learn more, you can visit identitytheft.org. So let's get started. Mari, who's your guest tonight? Well, I'm really thrilled because tonight we have a very special guest coming to us all the way from Washington, D.C. And, you know, this week is a very, very important week. It is National Consumer Protection Week. And this is from February 4th to February 10th. And so this is a perfect time to be talking to our great guests. We're going to be speaking with Emily Andrew. She is the Chief Privacy Officer of the United States Postal Service. And I should tell you about the Postal Service that they, you know, the Poneman Institute, where I'm a fellow, and, and she is part of the RIM Consul. Um, the, the Poneman Institute that does research actually found that the um, Postal Service is one of the most trusted agencies for privacy for actually the year 2005 and the year 2006. And you're going to learn why. And I think a lot of it has to do with Emily's leadership. She's terrific. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She was named acting chief privacy officer for the service in back in well, I think it was back in 2005 she was really acting as it, although she wasn't named the acting chief. And she had to deal with all of the challenges with Katrina, the, the hurricanes. And there were a lot of privacy issues at that time. In her role, she's responsible for reinforcing and increasing the value that privacy brings to the U.S. Postal Service brand. Emily does a, a great deal of work, and she advises the Office of the Postmaster General and Senior Management on a wide variety of privacy-related issues. She manages the development and implementation of privacy policies. This includes the organization's compliance with the Privacy Act, which is very important, and all the regulations. And um, she deals with the research of global privacy trends in the government and industry. And she also oversees the integration of privacy features into all the Postal Service products, programs, and services, and deals with you know, the employees as well. She chairs the USPS Privacy Board, made up of key postal executives as well. Emily's led the privacy program's team since 2003, so she's not just a newcomer. She's been around there, and she has a very strong background in consumer affairs, marketing, and all sorts of other operations. She has lots of different oversight. I mean, she has to deal with technologies and records management, on and on. It's, it's a tough job. She wears a big hat. Um, she manages a staff of technical, professional, administrative employees, as well as industry consultants that support the, the function of privacy. So she does a tremendous amount of work, and we're just so thrilled. She is also a certified information privacy professional for the government, you know, government issue, and she had to take two different tests. I had to take the CIPP test, and she had to take the CIPP test and the G test. 
and she's also a member of the Responsible Information Management Council with the Poneman Institute. So we were so lucky that we got to meet her when we were in Santa Fe and, and did that fun interview in the teepee. She, she wasn't able to do it then, but we're so thrilled that she's joining us tonight. Thank you, Emily, coming all the way from D.C. late in the evening. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be on your show, Mari. Oh, well, this is going to be fun because I, I really respect what the Postal Service is doing, and I have to tell you a cute story. <clears throat> Back in 1996, when I was a victim of identity theft, um, I had so much trouble because my imposter kept getting new pre-approved offers after I wrote all the letters. She was getting more and more pre-approved offers after she we even had her arrested and she was out on bail. She was still getting mail with my name at her house and accepting more offers. So I, I, you know, I called the postal inspector and I even talked to the carrier and I worked with them and they were very nice. And I finally suggested that when someone tries to change an address, you know, to a different address that they send a postcard to both. And that was way back in 1996, and they do that now. So somebody listened to me somewhere up in Washington, D.C., when I called and begged and wrote and all that stuff. But uh, they have done probably the best work for helping victims than any other governmental agency. I have to tell you that because I work with postal inspectors all the time, and I just want to thank you right now for that because they really do a great job. Yes, we're, we're really proud of the Postal Inspection Service. They're out there. They're, the, um, they're our um, arm of the law for, for mail. Identity theft um, is uh, one of their uh, biggest uh, issues that they deal with on a regular basis, and we've got a lot of different things that they've um, done for us and put out as far as awareness. Um, videos, for, yeah. Yes, videos that are free. You can just go on there. You can download them. You can um, request to be uh, have them sent to you. So we're out there. We want to make sure that um, our customers are aware of identity theft and all the different things that they can do to uh, protect themselves. Right, and I, I must say that um, any time that we have needed a postal inspector to come to some of the fraud fests that we've put on, not to commit fraud, but to protect people from fraud, like, you know, for seniors uh, in, in the community, the Postal Service always sends the best people out to help us talk to the people on how to protect themselves, and they bring all of the goodies that they've produced. So I just want to tell you, you guys are doing a great job, and thank I thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about your, oh, my goodness, you wear a huge hat, don't you? That's a pretty big hat. <laughs> and, and you have such a very large organization. Tell us a little bit about the background. I don't think people realize, you know, when they get their mail that you are a huge huge, um, you know, organization. Tell us about that organization and how many customers, employees, retail, locate. Tell us all about that. Well, yeah, you're right, um, Mari. Postal Service is one of the largest employers um, in the country. Uh, we're committed to maintaining the confidence that Americans have for over 200 years in the security and privacy of the mails. Our mission, obviously, is to deliver the mail, and Americans trust the Postal Service to do that. So having said that, uh, we have over 700,000 employees, Wow, <laughs> quite a few. Um, there are over 37,000 retail units. We process and deliver over 202 billion pieces of mail every, every year. Uh, we've got one of the largest government websites, um, over 70 customer databases, eight customer call centers, and um, I can't even tell you how many different pieces of equipment ranging from servers to desktops to laptops that we have. So we have a very strong tradition on how we handle the mail and personal information. Um, and given the size of our um, organization, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of work, but uh, we, uh, we do it well. You, you really do it well. That's absolutely the case. I know that for sure. Now, the Postal Service was one of the very first governmental agencies to even name a chief privacy officer. And given the size of that organization that you've been talking about, building a privacy program must be just huge. Um, can you tell us about your privacy program? Well, the privacy office was established um, in the year 2000. Zoe Strickland, I'm not sure if you've met her before. Yes. But yes. Uh -huh. Zoe was um, our first chief privacy officer um, for the Postal Service. She built the, um, the privacy program, which is second to none in the public and private sectors. 
Um, I was lucky enough to be part of that team that helped um, develop this program. We developed it from internal guidelines on privacy, following fair information practices and OMB guidelines, and we continue to um, involve many of the government and private sector groups um, that, that are concerned with privacy and security. One of the things that I think has been very successful for us is that we, the framework that we follow, uh, which is we call the four Ps, people, policies, processes, and publication. And by people, I mean identifying and involving the right people in the organization, Policies, we use those people to help us develop policies that are based not only on laws, but also on the products and services that we, um, that we provide, as well as our brand. And the processes, obviously, we're gonna, if we develop these policies, we need to have processes in, in order to implement them. And, of course, publication, and that's part of our communicating effectively, both internally and externally, and training and awareness is just key to all of that. You know, I had a chance to look again at your website, which I've looked up in the past, and it's it's terrific. You've actually got, as I see it, there's really two websites. You've got the USPS.gov, where I buy my, my stamps, right? Uh-huh. And then you've got the USPS.com slash privacy that tells about all the privacy things you have and about scams, right? Is, is that right? Or Well, actually, oops, I'm sorry. Actually, um, it's all on .com. Oh, it's all on .com? All of, all of that um, it falls on Com. They're just different pages um, okay. from that that you can reach of all of our different products and services, and as well as our privacy office website and different forms, publications, any other information that you wanted to know um, about the Postal Service. Okay, so let me repeat that. It's USPS.com. Com. And, yeah, okay. Great right. stuff on there. And um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about you. You are actually the chair of the internal privacy board. What, what exactly is that in, and what are your responsibilities, and, and what's that all about? That's interesting. Well, one factor that is often cited for a strong program is the need to have the buy-in and support of the top of the organization. That is really, really critical. Um, however, it's equally important to have the buy-in and support from your management peers, or else you risk having a program that has the right window dressing but the undesirable vulnerabilities to it. Right. So, to encourage cooperation, we set up our Privacy Advisory Board, and that's comprised of representatives from key functional areas such as IT, marketing, law department, our communications folks, HR, government relations, and, of course, the inspection service. So we meet, we meet about on a quarterly basis, and we share our insights and thoughts of what, what's going on within our organization and within privacy. And on a day-to-day basis, you know, we monitor um, any types of things that are going on within the media uh, in regards to privacy, and we share that. Our office shares that with the Privacy Board pretty much on a daily basis. You know, that's really important because in a lot of organizations that, that I work with, big corporations, often the marketing people are really at odds with the security people. You know, they, they don't really understand each other's needs, and this sounds like this helps that, you know, to to really work together and say, okay, marketing, we know what your goals are, but, you know, you have to be careful to protect information. Right. And, you know, one of the, the key things is being um, involved at the very early pro- stages of any process, especially with, with marketing. So, yeah, we work very, very closely with our marketing folks, but even closer with our IT security folks to inc- to ensure that when we're collecting information, that it's collected in the most secure manner, and that only the information that's needed for whatever product or service that we're, we're um, providing is, uh, is collected. We don't want to collect anything more than we actually need to have. That's great. Now, Emily, the, you also have the Postal Inspection Service people are, are part of that, too, so your law enforcement arm becomes part of your, your team? Absolutely. That's terrific. A lot of people don't realize this, and and I just want to bring it up now, that actually there's an arm of the United States Postal Service that is really law enforcement. And and I don't think people realize that. And they've done wonderful things with identity theft, for example. Uh, they, They investigate a lot of the crimes. And people also don't know that if you can't get a local police report, if you're listening to this in in a state where perhaps you have problems getting a police report, you can get a identity theft report from the postal inspector because all 
identity theft, or not all, but you know, most identity theft is going to in include the mails because they have to use the mail to get the the uh, the fraud to another address. If they're if they're taking over your identity and getting uh, new cards at a different address, or if they're sending. Perhaps you, they, uh, a fraudster is sending computers to an address that's other than your address. They're, they may be using the United States Postal Service, right? So people don't realize that, yes, there is a very strong and very credible uh, law enforcement arm of the United States Postal Service, right? Right. That, that's true. But I, want, I do want to point out that um, in, in terms of the mail, a um, very, very, very small percentage is, is related to identity theft. However, you are correct that once um, customers uh, or customers realize how they have been um, victimized, most of those folks are victimized by other means. So a lot of them are by um, by friends and family that may steal their credit cards from their homes. So in that case, they they are victimized by other means. But but it is true that sometimes they use the mail as a source of, of continuing that process. Right. What I meant was that the mail is used to implement the fraud. They could, you know, somebody can break into your home and get your social security number and then create a profile, apply for cards or go online, and then some uh, products are, are, are sent through the mail. Right. Or, that's, you know, also through FedEx and everything else. But, yeah, the mail is used. Although I have to tell you another story. We had a victim on, uh, not a victim, an actual fraudster on our show, Tammy, what was her last name? She was on this this last year. She was on Montel Williams with me uh, in October, and she talked about uh, what she was a methamphetamine addict, and what she and her team or co-conspirators did was um, they would steal mail. They would go into people's mailboxes and steal mail, or they would actually steal an entire uh, post. Uh, what do you call those? The 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 post off. Yeah, the box. <laughs> And take it and 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 break it open and steal the mail. So she talked about this on Montel, and then she told the whole story on that. So I agree with you that there are many ways people can get at security breaches. They can um, go in in the doctor's office and steal offline files. Um, I, it can happen many, many different ways. But unfortunately, and to be able to get a lot of the products, it has to be sent through the mail or through some kind of carrier service. So that's how um, the postal inspectors have been really involved in actively helping to break these cases because it, it, it does use their, their uh, you know, their, their services. Absolutely. And I am familiar with some of those things that you were talking about as far as the methamphetamine, the addicts, yeah. you know, doing several things like that. And um, in a lot of places where this was actually happening, uh, we implemented um, new boxes, new uh, collection boxes now that are really, really secure. You are not, they are not going to be stealing those. And also in those areas, we encourage people, we encourage them everywhere, but specifically in those areas where we have problems, is not to put your mail um, outside anything that's outgoing don't put it in your mailbox at night don't put it in the week on the weekends when we're not out there d d delivering or picking up mail and if you're going away on vacation make sure we put you tell us so we can put your mail on hold and we're not going to continue to deliver that mail and make your mail vulnerable those are really good points because i think a lot of people who don't have a locking mailbox worry about that kind of thing when they're when they're gone or if they have a very trusted neighbor that's what we do we have a uh, people who've been in our neighborhood you know 14 years that we know our neighbors they know us so i get their mail they get my mail and then of course i get a box of candy when they get back or they get something from us too so yeah. you're right you have to be very very careful and never send anything out from your mailbox just take it right to the post office is really about the safest thing but i know that um you your, your postal service has really done a terrific job Let's talk a little bit about the National Consumer Protection Week, because that's what this week is, and, and I'm thrilled to be able to have you on right during this week, because you're, uh, the Postal Service is really one of the leaders in this. Yes, it's a very exciting week for all of us. It's, we've got events um, planned all across the, um, the nation. So t can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, National Consumer Protection Week is a, a week that we have every year in February. It highlights consumer t protection and education um, efforts around the country. This year's theme is Read Up and Reach Out, be, in, be an Informed Consumer, and it encourages people across the nation to take advantage of the wealth of information that can enhance confidence in the marketplace. Consumer information can help people recognize ripoffs, 
smell the scams, find a fraud, those types of things. So we want, we want folks to, to start reading up and reaching out um, so that they can understand what they should be looking for. Well, that's a good place to start is actually at your website at, at USPS.com because I know you have a lot of good information. And then, of course, the Federal Trade Commission, which is FTC.gov, they have a tremendous amount of information as well. They're, you're coordinating with the Federal Trade Commission, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so it's read up and reach out and be an informed consumer. That's kind of what we try and do on this show. We try and get the best experts to tell about what's going on so that we inform them as they're driving by or they're listening in on their iPod or they're uh, on the computer, whatever. We want them to be wise consumers, really know what they're doing so that they make good choices. Absolutely. You know, we, we got to have them know what their rights are, be able to have the ability to research issues, know what they're getting into, and just be educated consumers. Right. To be, yeah, to be savvy consumers, you know, that that's how, we, and, it's, and it's hard to be because there's so much information out there. There truly is. And there's so many scams. You know, I'm on a, a listserv with the anti-phishing working group, and I hear, you know, I, I must get, you know, 30 emails a day from them about all these new scams. It is, you know, it's, it's really tough. You're never going to get an email from the USPS telling you to, to, to go to another website to give important information about your Social Security number, right? Right, absolutely. And, you know, they say fraudulent promotions are often success- successful because they seek out to exploit people's financial fantasies, needs, and, and general optimism. So being an informed, again, being an informed consumer, they're better, better able to see through frauds and deceptions. Right. In fact, you know, one of the things that we try and say on this show is if you do get an email and we call these phishing that looks really authentic, whether it's from the United States Postal Service, it looks like it's from the United States Postal Service with some logo that they've stolen from your site or from the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the Federal Trade Commission, never, ever respond to that. You just go to the, the website that you know and write an email or you make a phone call because there are a lot of people that, that contact us and they got hooked. They got hooked by phishing. Absolutely, and we've actually had that problem within our own organization where, you know, they've, they've sent emails to our employees that have had you know, our government credit cards and stuff like that, and said, oh, we need to update your information. Uh. And, you know, so it's, it's, we've been a victim of that as well, and we've had to send out um, communications to our own employees to let them know that, hey, you know what, it's not real. You will never, and, and, and actually it's a good thing to say to all people, um, is you never want to give out that information. Right. You know, because they're not, they shouldn't be asking that through emails. You know what I do now? Whenever I get one of those emails, even if it's from my own Bank of America or whomever it is, I just delete those. I absolutely delete it, and then I go to the website that I know, and I look to see if anything's on there, or I call my bank or something. I just never, ever respond to those things because I think it's, it's, you know, it's always going to be fraud. There's just no question about it. No reputable company or governmental agency is going to ask you for sensitive information in an email so just don't give it. Just and don't get it. And actually, if you even if you don't even know who the you know your your sender is, just delete it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just delete. It. Or if you think it's from the United States Postal Service, just delete it. You know, the only things I ever get is when I order my uh, stamps online. You know, mm-hmm. then I get a, a, a confirmation. But they're not asking me to give my social security number or anything like that. Oh, so no. no, I'm okay. Right. right, you're right. We will never do that. Absolutely. We are speaking with Emily Andrew, who is the acting chief privacy officer of the United States Postal Service. And she's speaking to us all the way from Washington, D.C. And we're talking about this is National Consumer Protection Week. And the theme is read up, reach out, be an informed consumer. And that is one of the greatest things that the United States Postal Service does besides getting our mail out there, getting getting everything, you know, delivered to us on time in a great manner and uh, and, keep, and protecting our privacy. So let's talk a little bit more about um the, the role that the, inspe- that the inspection service plays in protecting the privacy of customers and employees? Um, well, our inspection service does, is, is involved in a great many things. Um, as far as protections, different prevention things uh, that we have out there, uh, there are different IT, ID theft and fraudulent scams. 
They have online safety uh, tips for teens now. I don't know if you are aware of that. There's a program called Too Smart for You, which encourages young girls to go to this site to um, to read up and, and understand some of the, the uh, issues that we have with um, online safety for young girls. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the inspection services also works on other things that are not necessarily related to online activities, one of which is hazardous males. Yes. Uh, we work with four federal, there's four federal agencies, including ourselves, the Inspection Service, Homeland Security, the FBI, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. It's working on um, and has continually worked on a project in regards to hazardous males. Uh, we've, they've put out um, joint um, uh, communications on what to look for, and, and if, you, if you find anything that looks suspicious, what you should do about that. And this is something that, that we... Um, we promote for not only our employees and the safety of our employees, but also for our customers. What What are some of the things, you know, I, I every once in a while I, I worry about that if I get a strange-looking envelope, you know, and it seems like kind of bulky if maybe the, there's anthrax or something in there. Is there is there something special that, that I need to do? To, or I should look at when I'm when I'm uh, getting that kind of mail. Well, chances are that there won't be anything that's actually delivered to your home that's like that, and that's because our employees are all, are trained for to, to look out for that type of stuff. So if they even see it within our own facility, um, they they know how to isolate it and so forth. But some of the things you, that you typically you look for is you know, masking tape, which we don't accept, oh, okay. um, and that, that, you know. So obviously there's always, you know, the, the, the case that somebody might leave something and it's not even involved with postal service um, uh, at your doorstep. Right. So you look for masking tape, you look for string, you look for um, things that are taped on as far as the labels and, and um, addresses that are not written, but maybe they cut out pieces of paper that will address your address. Um, stamps. They want to use st- lots and lots of stamps as opposed to get, taking it to a post office to get a meter. Things, things of that nature. That, okay, so um, if it looks a little strange, you should really be cautious with it. Absolutely. And again, you know, we have had very, very, very few um, instances of, um, of hazardous material being delivered uh, to, to home. Well, I'm, I don't know of any that have been actually delivered to homes. But within our facilities, anything that looks suspicious, we automatically, you know, isolate and we have procedures in place. Um, a lot of this has been ongoing, but, you know, we've taken extra precautions since anthrax and, and other issues. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary stuff. Uh, it's unfortunate that, that the US, U.S. Postal Service has to be really on the lookout for, for terrorism, just like all the other governmental agencies. It's, right. it's really sad. Right. And again, our inspection service is right there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, l- let me ask you a little bit about, um, you know, we talked to, in the beginning when we talked about the fact that the Poneman Institute had a study that shows that the Postal Service is the most trusted governmental agency for privacy. That was pretty exciting. Absolutely. Okay, so what does that mean, and, and why do you think you came in first? Well, actually, um, in conjunction with National Consumer Protection Week, I'm not sure if you know this, Mari, but um, yesterday we actually sent out a press release that announced now for the third year in a row we have been named the um, number one agency for privacy and trust. Okay. So we're, yes, we're very, very proud of that. Um, not only did we retain that top spot, um, but um, we increased our customer satisfaction and trust scores um, from the previous year. So we are very, very proud of, of uh, that, um, that position. And you want to keep it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So- so why, why, you know, in terms of, you know, that's that's a really wonderful honor to have, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, what, to be the, the most trusted uh, agency for privacy. Why do you think that is? Well, over the last 200 years, the Postal employees have developed a re- relationship with their customers. They see us every day. They know us. Many of us know us by name. And in some cases, we even know each other's families. It just gets to be a tight relationship with our our carriers and our, our customers and our retail clerks and so forth. So this type of relationship naturally builds trust. Um, we also have shown um, that we're there when they need us. And one of the best examples is how we stepped up to the plate during the Katrina and Rita disasters. You know, 
uh, when, when the chips were down, we immediately put in processes to locate our customers, redirect, redirect their mail to them, to their new locations. Um, most impl- you know, customers you know, pretty much lost everything that they had. Right. Um, and receiving mail is the one thing that a person looks forward to when they get home um, from work. You know, it's the first thing you do Absolutely. is you go for the, you go for the mail. You're not That's going right. you're not going for your computer and your email, but you're going for that hard copy mail. And so we gave them one thing we knew that they needed. We gave them the comfort, we gave them their mail, their checks to get their lives back in order, and truly a means of communications with their loved ones because many didn't have cell phones or any other way to communicate. Um, with uh, loved ones. What an overwhelming job that must have been. Oh, How was. did you find these people? Well, there was, there was um, we did a lot, a lot of communications um, with the public. Uh, we, we sent out all kinds of messages saying, you know, trying to get, encourage folks to put in change of addresses. Right. We were at a lot of these shelters, um, and, and we had things set up for them to go ahead and put their change of addresses in. We had call centers um, set up uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that we could take uh, change of address uh, orders online. Um, so that's what we really encouraged that. And we and once we got that going, we started pushing that mail out. We developed new kind of phantom addresses for for the various shelters that were set up the, at the, um, you know, the Astrodome and, and various places. So anywhere that we could find to deliver the mail that made sense, that's what we were doing. Wow. So you had to deliver to the Astrodome and try and find people who were, you know, just camped out at the Astrodome? Well, it is very interesting <sighs> because they had, they had such, they were so organized and had that so well set up. People came in, they fiddled out their change of badge, we immediately gave them a phantom P.O. box number. So when that mail started getting processed, they knew where to go, which line to stand in to get that mail as it was being redirected to them to all of these various places. Wow. That must have been some task. Oh, now, you okay. must have lost a lot of the um, actual post offices, too, didn't you, during during that? I mean, they must have been flooded. Yeah, we um, we. we did um, experience a lot of damage, a lot of um, lost mail, a lot of equipment, and so forth. But uh, we have continued to um, to rebuild. So even even today, our consumer advocate, you know, spends time down in New Orleans, um, you know, ensuring that customers are being um, uh, treated properly, that they're getting their mail, and um, that uh, their issues are being um, addressed. So it's it's an ongoing. Um, process for us um, as well as it is for all the other customers and just all the folks that are just trying to rebuild their lives down there. Right. So, you know, we should talk a little bit. I mentioned in the beginning that when I was a victim of identity theft and and they were able to to make some changes to help prevent fraud, you want to talk about that? People may not realize what happens when they move and they put in a change of address, how that works to protect them from fraud. Well, we do. We have we have um, several things in place uh, to protect customers from fraudulent change of addresses. Uh, first of all, we wanted to make it we want to make it um, kind of an easy transition so that so that folks will put in change of addresses when we move, so that we can redirect their mail to them. So we have various channels that they can submit through online, through our call center agents, and um, as always through our hard copy forms. Um, through our online, we've established, and through our call centers, we've established um, a, an authentication through the credit card. So we, we do ask for a credit card number, and we authenticate the individual with that. We also send um, verification through email once we, we get the, um, the orders processed, hmm. um, as well as we send what we call a move validation letter. So when you put in a change of address, um, a notification goes not only to your old address, but it goes to your new address. So by going to your old address, it says, the, the letter will basically say that a change of address has been filed for you. We don't tell them what the new address is. Right. And we say, if this is not, if this is not true, to contact us immediately so that we can um, take measures to, to stop the mail from, from um, being processed. And there's a time gap in there so that, so that we, can, we have the ability to do that before any mail gets actually sent. Yeah, I I very much appreciate that. That's something I had asked for back in 1996. I saw it get implemented, and I've been trying to get credit card companies and others to, to, you know, I said if the Postal Service can do this, 
so can all the other companies do this to make sure that when someone applies for a credit card at a new address that the old address you know in other words not just my credit card saying that I moved, you know, and I want my credit card to go to this new address. But if I'm a fraudster, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to apply and and say that, you know, that I'm Emily Andrew, only I'm now in California and give a California address. And I was saying that, you know, when the credit card company pulls the credit report for Emily Andrew to see if she should be getting this credit, it's going to say Emily Andrew on the East Coast, not on the West Coast. So they should be doing the same thing that the Postal Service is doing, which is send a letter to the address at the credit report that the credit report has and the new one and say did you apply for this new visa and if you didn't move to california emily then you could say no i didn't this is fraudulent don't issue this card so if you can do it at the postal service it seemed to me that the credit card companies should do it too but so far um we can't really get that going yet but but you've been doing it now for how many years i mean it's um, I'm not certain how many years it's been, but it's it's been it's been quite a few. Yeah, um, I, 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 I want to say at least, gosh, um, at, probably at about seven or, or seven. eight. Because yeah. I yeah, because I remember begging for that right. um, and writing to the to the chief postal inspector and writing a long letter and testifying in Congress about what I think should happen. And you know, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who. who thought of it wasn't that brilliant but but at least you know i felt validated and i felt like they were hearing me and and i'm really glad that they do this because it does help a lot of people who find out about you know fraud activity just from those letters so you you should know that it's really doing good work we're speaking with emily andrew who is the acting chief privacy officer of the united states postal service in washington dc she's so nice to join us late in the evening And we're talking about many things about privacy, but also this is National Consumer Protection Week uh, from February 4th through 10th. And so we're right in the middle of it, and we're thrilled that you're with us. Um, What privacy statutes apply to the Postal Service? Uh, Postal Service is is a unique organization in that it's subject to a unique blend of privacy laws and regulations. We, um, we are subject to the Freedom of Information Act and the Privacy Act of 1974. And now, I'm going to stop you for a second. Now, I know what those are, but a lot of my audience who's driving by might not know what that requires. Can we just kind of tell real briefly what what the Privacy Act of 1974, some of the key issues that it that it requires? Well, for the most part, for, for the Privacy Act of 1974, whenever we collect and or maintain information personal information about an individual um, that we file or retrieve by that identifier, by their name or whatever that data or element that might be an identifier, uh, falls under what we call a system of record. That system of record tells us, this is something that we actually, each activity that we may use um, has its own system of record, and we, uh, it basically is a... um, is a document that says how we handle that information, how we store it, how we collect it, why we collect it, um, w- how long we retain it, who um, you share it with, dis- who we share it with, how it's disposed of, and so forth. So it it um, falls under, uh, and there's also routine uses. Um, so whenever whenever you whenever the, we collect information from an from a customer or an employee that is the Privacy Act covered information, you will see what we call a Privacy Act statement. That statement will tell us um, that why we're collecting that information and under what, what circumstances we may disclose that information. And if, and if you fail to give it, you know, what the consequences are. So for the most part, these are all voluntary, but if you don't do it, we may not be able to provide a product or service for you. Right. Now, you, you don't sell information for marketing to other companies and other organizations do you absolutely not absolutely not no we don't share we actually um, follow a permissions-based marketing so for customers that are registered customers with the postal service for products and services that we provide we follow an opt-in process so if you want um, to receive information on other products and services or um, products and services from our partners, um, then we have an opt-in. 
Uh, obviously, anytime you want to opt out, you can you can change your profile as such. For businesses, we assume that you are doing business with us, so you want to know about our products and services. So in that case, we have an opt out. That's that's fair enough because as a consumer, we we should get that uh, pr- give prior permission if we want to uh, you know have information from others sold to us. Although I like it when I get. You know, I do. I do a lot of uh, online uh, purchasing of of in, you know of uh, stamps and other things from the postal service. So if they tell me about a new product, I'm glad. I want to know about that because I'm already a customer. Right. So that's that's a little bit different. Then you were talking about the Freedom of Information Act. So let's talk about that. A lot of people don't realize what that is either. Freedom of Information Act is if you um, would like to have information, or, uh, actually they have to be records, okay? So if, if, if there's records that you uh, would like to request from the Postal Service, records that we currently maintain, through the free, you are allowed to do so through the Freedom of Information Act. So you generally will send a letter to our manager of records office who falls under my department um, re- uh, stating that you are requesting whatever it is the data that you're looking for, records that you're looking for. Uh, We are responsible for responding to that request within a certain amount of time, and we will tell you whether we have those records or not. Um, And in some cases, there's, there's, uh, again, you know, amount of time that we that we are allowed to um, it's 20 days before we you know we, we have to respond but we'll do every make every effort to try to locate those records if those records exist okay and then and then if they do then you can share those records with them right and in some cases depending on what the records are um, if if we can release them we will release them if and some cases we may have to release them in part because they may contain information that is sensitive. So there are ex- some exemptions to the Freedom of Information Act that may not allow us to um, to release uh, certain documents. Right. In those cases, we will send you a response and we will let you know uh, what those exemptions, which that we have the records, but based on certain exemptions um, that we would not be able to release those. You know, speaking about that and about this kind of sensitive information, how do you protect sensitive information that you do have? Oh, there's there's lots of different ways that we protect sensitive information. First of all, we're on a, a really big awareness campaign right now um, in regards to um, protecting uh, and safeguarding uh, information. So th- because we're under the Privacy Act, uh, we we uh, one of the, the key components of that is only collecting information that we need to do business with. So... Um, number one is taking a look at everything that we collect and ensuring that we're only collecting information that we need. Um, if we don't need it, we don't want to collect it. Um, or what if you needed it at one time, you don't need it anymore? Well, depending on what, the, what under the system of records that falls under the Privacy Act, we are required to maintain that for a given amount of time. So whatever the retention period is, we may keep that information for that retention period, and then we dispose of it as appropriate. Um, any information that we have, we, we safeguard sensitive information by encryption um, and, and other means. Um, if it's hard copy, we make sure that it's in locked cabinets and so forth. And, and you know, especially when we've heard about, like, the, the, the Veterans Administration, we've heard about the IRS, all of these security breaches we've been, you know, hearing about, you know, over 100 million records that have been publicly uh, reported that have been uh, acquired by unauthorized persons. So in light of VA and, and other governmental uh, losses of, of security breaches, um, are you doing things differently? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, the VA incident was, was very unfortunate, and it's taught us a lot. Um, important things that we've learned is, is really how vulnerable we can all be. Uh, we have over 200,000 employees with online access, whether they have um, desktops, laptops, Blackberries, and so forth. So that's a lot of employees that we really have to um, put some awareness out there and train on how um, vulnerable we are with this um, information. So Right, because their information, I mean, if they're employees, they're, they're on payroll, you have to have their Social Security number so then you can report it to the IRS, right? Right. And so you, you have to gather, you must gather very sensitive information on them for their health insurance or whatever other uh, benefits that you offer them as well. 
Right. And then, and one of the things that we're really um, working on now is we're identifying those areas where obviously we need to have Social Security numbers for when we interact with other agencies, because that's the only way we can identify um, the employees. But in other cases, when it's internal use, we are moving away from Social Security numbers, and we've, we've implemented several years ago the employee ID. So we're using that as a source instead of the Social Security number and eliminating it wherever we can um, uh, in our systems. That's great. You know, it's funny because when I do programs for the military, especially the retired military people, they tell me 30 years ago we had an, an individual ID. They never used our Social Security number. Okay. Now, you know, the Social Security number is on the dog tag. We have a grandson who's in the Air Force. Um, you know, they, it's it's on, on their ID card to get into the commissary, to get into base. So they've kind of gone the opposite, and hopefully um, there'll be some legislation that, that that will be changed. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because um, my mom recently sent me all of the letters. My father w- um, was in the military and uh, served in the Vietnam War, and she recently sent me all of his letters. She kept everything, and so she's kind of divvying up all our letters to all the kids. Hmm. And um, his his return address actually had his Social Security <laughs> number on the return address, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this actually was happening back then. Oh, yeah. But we didn't take those things as seriously as we do now. We didn't have the problems that we do now. Well, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that that Social Security number um, originally wasn't really meant for credit, and it was it was meant to track your Social Security earnings. Then it became the, the number for the IRS. Then it became the number for, to get credit. And then we've had such a vast, uh, you know, proliferation of easy credit. And to get that credit, you use the Social Security number. That's your ID to be able to apply for credit and get credit bureau. So I think we've evolved, and it became more dangerous as time went on where it wasn't as dangerous before. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Without the databases. So that's been a part of it. But, it, yeah, these military guys tell me this. My number? I don't know why I couldn't keep my number. Why did they have to use them? <laughs> so, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something else now. So I just want to introduce you again so somebody might be driving by. And we are speaking with Emily Andrew, who is the Chief Privacy Officer of the United States Postal Service. She's coming to us all the way from Washington, D.C. tonight. And this is National Consumer Protection Week. And they've really, along with the Federal Trade Commission, they're they're leading a, a fantastic uh, program to educate consumers. We all want to be educated consumers because we information is knowledge, and, and that empowers us to make good decisions, not be caught by scams. So let me get back to some of these questions here. So what? Um, how does the United States Postal Service manage its security program? Well, we have um, a corporate information security office, and we work, our office works uh, very, very closely. We're kind of tied together on, on almost everything that we do. Uh, that corporate information security office um, manager uh, reports directly to our CTO, uh, they have four strategic goals that um, that uh, is their kind of their mission. And first, being protecting the postal service brand and ensuring that information resources operate in a secure and trusted environment. They promote security awareness and security risk management as integral parts of the postal service business decisions. They also provide employees and managers with the knowledge and tools that they need to protect their information and equipment. Some of those things we've we've recently implemented is. Um, uh, forced passwords on our Blackberries, the ability to wipe the Blackberries if they're um, lost or stolen of all the data. What do you um, do with a little push button or what? They have they have uh, a process that they, once we get the word that it's been um, a lost or stolen, they they have the ability to yeah press a kind of a press a button that um, on their end that uh, wipes it. And obviously, would turn off um, all the uh, uh, the service for it as well. Right. Um, and and they're also encrypted. Um, we've uh, we've uh, just implemented um, some other processes in place with um, uh, USB ports or um, USB thumb drives uh, as far as encryption. We are, you know, that is so scary. I just have to, inter- inter- you know, those little USB ports are so tiny. They're so easy to lose, don't you think? I mean, I, I feel like wearing one around my neck like I wear my, my cell phone around my neck. I, I had to have uh, my husband 
delivered our financials to my uh, accountant, on, you know, on a USB port. And, and I said, you got to, like, take it. You've got to. We had it password protected. And you you've got to encrypt those things. I mean, people forget these little tiny things. They forget how much megadata it can hold on there. But aren't they incredible? They're, they're so handy to have, and everybody wants one. The kids are using them for school. We use them sure. for work. But we've went, and so we're, we're putting processes in place now that, that we're encouraging folks only to use those that are encrypted. They're already encrypted, so it's transparent. Because we're finding that, you know, most of our, most of our employees, um, they're, they're, start, they're getting it now. They understand um, the, the importance of safeguarding, but they're looking for things that are transparent to them. They don't want to have to go to the the, the trouble of having to encrypt every file or password protect every file. So we're looking at ways to make this transparent, to make this easier for them, but at least, and also keep enforcing that uh, these things need to be protected. You know, how about laptops? You know, when we look at the chronology of security breaches at privacyrights.org, we see that a great percentage of security breaches with sensitive information was was from lost or stolen laptops. So, what are you all doing about the laptops? Well, we are we have pushed out a lot of uh, again a lot of communications on awareness and training on on how laptops should be protected. Uh, we are uh, enforcing uh, cable locks for laptops so that if folks are traveling, that they have cable locks. We have cable locks also in our offices. Um, so as, as kind of a, a, a second layer of protection, um, we are looking at, obviously we're pushing encryption yes. um, for any data that might be on laptops. Uh, employees that have to have sensitive data on their laptops are now required to have approval to do so from their managers, um, as well as if they are going to be taking them out of the, the office um, for travel or other business purposes. Uh, they must have permission to do so. And they have to have a clear understanding of what their responsibilities are and how important it is to keep that laptop with them at all times when they're um, not in the office. Exactly. You know, we um, we had gotten a call from our bank that our premier banker had uh, put her laptop in the car and went in just for a minute into her home, and it was broken into and it was stolen. And, yeah. um, you know, so they had to notify us. You know, the California law basically says that if you encrypt data and it is acquired by an unauthorized person, you don't have to notify because the encryption is considered um, the, the carrot that, you know, we want to encourage governmental agencies as well as corporations to encrypt the data. And then, at least under our law, you don't have to notify uh potential uh, consumers who've been, uh, you know, their information has been accessed because there is that hope or at least uh, a good chance that it can't be utilized if it's scrambled in encryption. So it's uh, really smart that you're you're making sure that oh, that they encrypt. Absolutely. And it's, it, and it's, it's one of our top priorities this year is, is really pushing that out. You know, I think in a way, even though we've had all these security breaches and they've been public and it's been an embarrassment for governmental agencies and it's been, a you know, an embarrassment for corporations, I think really and truly it has done a great deal to increase awareness on these corporate, uh, to, to, to use better technology to protect the privacy of, of citizens and consumers, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, we're, I think, you know, all government agencies, actually all anybody that handles data um, nowadays that, that's personal or sensitive type of data, they're all looking at various ways to add additional protections because of um, the issues that we're having with, um, with security breaches. And that's really important on the IT side to be able to provide those to the users. But again, I can't emphasize enough, we can put all the protections in place that we want, but if the users are not aware of what their responsibilities are, it's worthless. Right, right. If they don't use them or if they don't take the precautions to safeguard the equipment, there's no sense in having it. Right. And and unfortunately, that's really tough because you, as the privacy officer, has to do a lot of training. So what kind of training does your privacy officer provide for the employees? Well, we do, we do quite a bit of training. Um, we actually um, put together our first comprehensive training um, package together a couple of years ago, and it was, it was a real big hit, and we're just still using it now. Um, we have a general training session that um, we 
we do in person, but it's also available to employees online. Um, we do customized training as well. So depending on the, the various departments, so we have training that deals with um, marketing and marketing type of, of issues. We have training that deals with supply management and contract type issues and so forth, and they are customized. And we used um, a, uh, a methodology of, of um, case case. Um, Case studies, case yeah. studies, yes, uh-huh. real life case studies, and actually, um, I don't. I, I believe you know. Um, oh, gee, I'm, I'm at a loss for his name right now. But he came. He's one of our uh, the privacy advocates um, that came out and helped us with our training um, and uh, and actually implemented that with us. Uh, so it's it was a big hit. We continue to do training to um, the various um, offices that are high risk, especially those ones that are high risk um, within the organization. And, um, and that now, would be like HR that has all of the sensitive information for retirement plans and and uh, payroll, et cetera. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. We, uh-huh. we our shared services um, have, has just implemented some new processes. So we've done. Um, we just recently did training for them. All of our accounting service centers. We do it for our marketing and sales folks. Um, any and our uh, again our supply management folks. And this year, we're actually partnering with our IT folks um, to do kind of joint training, so privacy and security all together in one. You know, as there is a difference between privacy and security, but they sure need each other. And I think that one of the great things that, that you're doing is you're having this console where you have to meet together and share ideas and help each other know what the problems are so that you can really uh, do a... a a kind of a unified effort to protect the privacy and security because you surely can't have uh, privacy. You can't you know you can't have any real privacy without security, but you can have security without privacy. That's right. And so that becomes a, a real problem too. Right. So Lloyd is telling us that we we have about three minutes left. Is that right? So I wanted you to just um, kind of reiterate about National Consumer Protection Week and tell people what they how they can learn more about it and how they can get to your website and if they have questions about privacy, what they can do. So can you tell us that? Absolutely. So National Consumer Protection Week is going to run um, through this through the this week through the tenth. Uh, we have uh, different activities that are happening throughout um, the, the nation with all of our um, 80 districts. They've all got different things going on. Again, reach up and reach out, providing information to um, our, our customers about how they can find information in regards to different forms of identity theft, fraud, or other issues that they need to be aware of, and, and, and reaching out as how they can contact folks. For privacy, you can contact. Uh, you can you can find us on our website at usps.com and just look for the privacy office. Uh, our privacy policy obviously is um, uh, on the footer of every page on usps.com as well. You can email us at privacy at privacy at usps.com. Um, or you can write to us at, uh, well, I don't know if you want me to give the whole address there. No, no, they can find, they can <laughs> they find can, it on the website. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. also I just want to say that I, um, one of the great things is you have these frequently asked questions that are on there that are terrific with great answers about, you know, what personal information you collect and how do you, you know, what goes to third parties and how they can protect themselves and about how they can protect their children because sometimes, um, if they're, if you collect anything about the children, you know, you have to get parental consent, and that's what you do. So there are some really wonderful things. I just had one other question for those 80 districts that you have uh-huh. um, that are doing activities. Is that I didn't see that. Is that on the website where they can find out locally what's going on? Um, um, the, the various offices are actually doing their own um, releases um, within their own oh, the um, their own areas yeah okay. so they're they're the ones that they're sending out different media um, uh, releases and uh, notifying the, their local areas on their own so each one of them's doing a, something a little bit different and I also want to say while well, I've got you is to give that plug to the inspection service so they you can always you can also find their website um, or their web pages on usps.com. You look on the on the footer of our of every page, and you if you click on to the postal inspection service, there is just a wide variety of information that you can um, find located on those pages. 
Yeah, that that is terrific, too. And they can also look in the yellow pages if they need to call a postal inspector if they are a victim of fraud. Emily, I want to thank you so much for all your time. You're doing a terrific job, and it is, is so great after getting to meet you to be able to interview you. Thank you so much. You're terrific. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to Emily Andrew, who is the Chief Privacy Officer of the United States Postal Service, and that postal service is number one for three years in a row on privacy protection uh, and, and the most trusted uh, organization. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And please come and join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. here at KUCI. And also visit and see our upcoming guests, listen to our previous interviews, download our podcasts at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you, Lloyd, your great engineer, and good night till next week. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.